There's something about the truth that gets under people's skin, or if they respond to the truth correctly, they're appreciative, and they love you. Jesus was crucified because he told the truth. Jesus said, if I had not come, they would have not had sin. Well, they would have had sin, but they wouldn't have been as keenly aware of it as when I did come. Jesus, through the seven sign miracles of the Gospel of John, is taking us for a walk, a climb, up a mountain that leads to life itself. It is at times a very steep climb and many fall off the mountain because they don't want to hear what brings them life. And in the seven sign miracles that are the Gospel of John, he over and over emphasizes the truth. What truths did he emphasize in the seven miracles? Let's go through them briefly. He turned water into wine at a wedding. That was his first. He took that which was bland and gave it flavor and color and joy. Without The truth is, without Jesus, we are all as boring and bland as water. Yes, even the most dynamic of you is dead and boring and washed out without Jesus Christ. Well, you either love that or hate that. You are boring without him. I am boring without him. He is the only one who gives joy to us. The healing of the rich man's, Jared's son is a beautiful picture of life out of death. Really, by faith, we are saved. Jesus gave the word for Jairus' son from a distance and sent the man home. We are saved by faith. We can't do anything to save ourselves. Nothing. There's no religious exercise you can perform. They'll pull that thing off. That offends an awful lot of people. Number three, he walked on water. There it is. He did something supernatural. Because the truth that he was sharing to you and I is, we can do nothing supernatural apart from him. All we have is this life and that's it. We can pull the natural off. We can't walk on water. The truth is, we were meant to walk on water. And someday with a new body, you will walk on water. Not now. Only he can do that. Well, he gave sight to the blind. Truth is, you and I are blind without him. Not like blind, like legally blind. We are stone blind. Wave your face in front of your hand, not see it blind. Apart from his giving of sight, we are blind. Does that offend you? Are you angry with him because of that particular truth? Well, what else did he do? He gave strength to a crippled man. Sign. Is that five or six? That's five. I was hoping it's six because I'm having a hard time recalling number six. I got number seven, but... Some of you deep theologians, as I'm wasting time on five, find six for me, would you? I'll find it. 
Number five, he gave strength to the crippled man. Because the truth is, we are all impotent. We are all crippled. We sit by the the pool of Bethesda and we can't move. He fed 5,000 and really probably 15,000. Because you and I are empty and hungry without him and nothing of this world will satisfy you. It's like sucking out of dirty mud puddles this world. He fills you with his bread of life. Without him we are hungry. That's a truth that people love or people hate. And then they got a man that was four days, four days (laughs) in the grave resurrected because we apart from him are dead with no hope this seventh miracle is why he was crucified john makes that very clear the excitement in john chapter 12 that we'll see bled over into jerusalem causing the triumphal entry in palm sunday if you will The very reason that Lazarus, two miles away from Jerusalem, had hordes of people coming to see Jesus and see him. This is the miracle that tipped the scales and caused the Pharisees, scribes, and Sadducees to join forces to kill him. This is it. Because when you tell the truth, people either love you or they hate you. All right, go to John chapter 12 and let's look at it together. Here he is in Bethany, he's in the house of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. We draw our thoughts from verse 12. The next day, uh, verse 9, when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, Jesus, but also they wanted to see Lazarus. This is a perfect picture of evangelism. Jesus was in a certain place, two miles away from Jerusalem, and the people couldn't stay away. They just came in hordes. But not only did they want to see Jesus, they wanted to see a man that Jesus had raised from the dead. There you have New Testament preaching. There you have the church. There you have evangelism. When a church is centered on Jesus Christ and Jesus is there, people come. They come not only to hear about Jesus. You don't come to hear a history lesson. You don't come to hear my opinion on things. You come to hear Jesus. You come to hear about him and what he taught. And when you hear him, then you look around and you see the lives that he has changed. This is beautiful, isn't it? The crowds came to hear about Jesus. Notice They came to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. (laughs) I can't help but laugh. Here's a man who died, and they're threatening with death. Lazarus, like, already already got that one. (laughs) Notice it says uh, to put him to death as well, because on account of him, of his changed life, many believed on Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I can hear the conversation with the scribes and Pharisees, can't you? We need to put Lazarus to death. Well, what if Jesus raises him again? 
If we just compound our problem. Well, let's kill Jesus first, and then he won't be there to raise Lazarus. They're just calculating the whole process of how to do it. Well, what if Jesus raises from the dead, then they go get Lazarus again? We've got more problems. Comical, isn't it? The world's greatest threat is to kill a man who just got raised from the dead. How stupid that is. They're going to stop the movement. They're going to kill the Savior. They're going to kill everyone who made a difference. Notice verse 12. Before we go to 12, let me, let me kind of preface the next couple weeks. Paul made a remarkable statement in 1 Corinthians when he said this, that the gospel to the Jews is different than the gospel to the Greeks. Not a different message, but a different reaction. Paul said this, to the Jews, the gospel is is a stumbling block. A stumbling block is something you hit, you didn't see coming. You didn't know it was there. Benny was walking up toward Kiki at the house the other day. Computer case was on the floor, didn't see it. Flat right on his face. It was a stumbling block to him. He never saw the computer case. Boom. To the Jew, the gospel and Jesus are a stumbling block. They didn't get what they expected. They never saw him coming in the way he came. But to the Greeks, it's different. To the Greeks, Jesus and the gospel, watch this, are foolishness. Relegated to the sidelines because none of that makes sense to their smarts, intellect, and wisdom. This week, we talk about the Jews' reaction to Jesus as he comes in Jerusalem but followed on the heels of this is a, is a set of Greeks who come and want to see Jesus. Interesting Jesus' response to the Greeks. I just want to preface the next two weeks for you with that, with that thought and idea. You follow me? So take a look at verse 12. Here we have the Jews' reaction. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, the Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. One of my favorite Sundays growing up as a, as a young Methodist was Palm Sunday. It was kind of a cool deal because in upstate New York, we all got palm branches, which is palm branches weren't like around up in upstate New York. So that was a big deal. The whole Palm Sunday, the palm branches... Normally, they relegated into a sword fight with your, your, your buddy outside the Sunday school class, but for a while, it was a lot of fun. This is something I remember. Palm and the whole palm thing was all over Jerusalem, and they just cut these things down. And as Jesus began to come into Jerusalem, look at their reaction. Look at the way that they expected. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, coming down from the Mount of Olives, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. That was their chant. Now, all four Gospels handle the story a little bit different. At one point in the entrance into Jerusalem, the Pharisees rebuke the Lord and say, Tell your disciples, tell your followers not to say those things. Remember his response? I love it. That if they kept their mouth shut, the very rocks would cry out. Luke tells us that. Uh, in the other Gospels, Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead of time to go get this donkey and, 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 and the colt that goes with the donkey. 
So you see some foreplanning of Jesus in that. But in John, none of that. He simply is going to mount a donkey in just a minute. But watch this. Their cry out is for the king of Israel. Let me tell you what they were looking for. They were looking for a king now. They were looking for a political answer to their present situation of Roman bondage. Follow it. What they wanted from Jesus was a kingdom. Now, with a king, Rome goes home. Rome gets dominated. We're tired of being under the oppressive hand of Rome. We want to live like David lived. We want to live like Solomon lived. We want to have our own kingdom, our own freedom, our own power. And here's the answer. Every year at the Passover, just about, there was messianic candidates, if you will. In fact, Rome feared this situation so much, Pilate brought his soldiers from Caesarea Philippi down to be stationed in the city during the Passover. Because every year, somebody stood forward and said, I'm him. And there was a little revolt going on all the time. And the emotions of the Jews were high. The messianic hopes were high. And so this isn't something that didn't happen year by year with different characters. They just thought he was it. They wanted to use Jesus for what they wanted to use him for. Does that sound familiar? They wanted to use the Christ to fix their country. Does that sound familiar? They wanted a kingdom right now. Does that sound familiar? They wanted to take the material of the kingdom they had right now in Palestine and create a kingdom out of this world's stuff. Does that sound familiar to you? Christianity in many ways, for by some, have been hijacked by those who want to create a society on this earth of Christianity. You know that? It happened thousands of years ago in medieval Europe. It was called Christendom, where Christianity joined government forces and became one. What a debacle that was in the abuse of power within the church. Do you understand? Jesus' kingdom is not America. As much as I love this country, he's not here to rescue us from any political party. And, he, and Lord knows we need to be rescued from probably all of them. But what he offers is a kingdom not of this earth. If he was, he would have ridden into Jerusalem on a white horse with a very large sword. But notice what he does. It almost takes the wind out of the situation. Look at, the, look at what he does in verse 14. It was prophesied that he would do this, and yet it became a stumbling block. And Jesus found a young donkey. <laughs> really? This was an honored beast back during this time, but it was a beast of burden. It was not a beast of conquering. I mean, can you see the emperor, Caesar, riding in on a donkey? He had a white stallion. 
This was not the stuff of this world. He came in as a humble Messiah. Notice verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Really? Now, verse 16 is a commentary by John. It says his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done unto him. Notice verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness about Lazarus. Notice verse 18. The reason why the crowds went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. See how clear it was of why the crowds went to see him? Because of Lazarus, because of the raising of the dead, because of their hope that this Messiah would raise the dead country of nation of Israel at this present time. I love the reaction of verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see that you... I'm always curious why it doesn't say, see that we are not gaining, that we are gaining nothing. Doesn't that sound a little strange to you? You see that you are gaining nothing. I, I guess the only conclusion I can come to this is when they got all together as all this group, they went like this. Nobody wanted to do the we, they did the you. You do that in groups that don't get along and they're splinter and things aren't working out. We becomes you. Anyway, that's, that's all I get from that. But I look, at, look at verse, like Forrest Gump, that's all I've got to say about that. Look at verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look. Look! The world has gone after him. That's what it appeared like in this triumphal entry. It ended with a big fizzle bang dead spot, and he went out to the Mile of Olives that night, kind of disappointed the crowds. Pilate was still in charge. But at this point, they said, look, the whole world's gone after him. Interesting, isn't it? Years ago, uh, up in Wisconsin, there was a family called the McConkies. The McConkies had had several children, and uh, they were a young family, and they all were sick all the time. Uh, They constantly went to the doctor, all of them. Uh, and so eventually the medical authorities uh, intervened and came in and began to evaluate the home. Uh, and when they did, they found out that a microorganism was living in the home that was making them all sick. The strange thing about it was it was living under the throw rugs. Apparently it got under there because Mrs. McConkie, rather than sweep up the dirt and dust that was on her wooden floors... She simply lifted up the throw rug and began to sweep it under the rug. It began to grow as a microorganism, making them all sick. They gave them the plan of how to fix this microorganism, this, this terrible thing that was growing in the house, and Miss McConkie said this to them privately. No, don't bring that in. I'm embarrassed. In fact, I'm ashamed. She refused the help. Do you know all the McConkies died? Within years, they were all dead. She had been presented with the truth under her rug and had refused to face that. They all suffered the consequences. Now, some of you listen to my stories long enough. I can see a smile on halfway through. There is no family such as the McConkies. I want you to know that. Rest assured, not all of them died. 
In fact, they've never existed. There never was a family of Wisconsin. I thought to bring embellish it more with a medical journal report, but I thought, well, if you don't tell the truth, you may end up without a job. Ask Brian Williams uh, this week. <laughs> so it's just a story. Don't take it home and report it online to YouTube and get it all. Don't research it on Google. It never happened. But what happens all the time is people are presented with the truth of Jesus Christ. And they won't respond. And they die. When you lie, you lose your credit, credibility. When you tell the truth, you are either loved or you are hated. The truth is that Jesus came to save us for our sins, not to establish a kingdom on this earth out of the stuff made in this earth. He's coming again to establish his own kingdom. He'll ride the white horse. You'll see him on the white horse. He'll come as a conqueror, but when he first came, he came as a donkey. He came riding on a donkey. He came riding humbly to die for our sins. That's why it was a stumbling block to the Jews. There's an Old Testament verse that says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree. Was he cursed? Yes, because he took my curse and your curse upon him. But to the Jew, that is a mighty offense. Is that an offense to you? That he would die in your place. Because Romans tells us this. If one died for all, then all were dead. Got it? If he died for all men, all of us are dead men walking until he comes and gives us life. To those who embrace life, he is the joy and life within to those who will not there is quietly within the heart of the lost man a hatred for Jesus Christ a hatred for the gospel because what's under their rug is killing them and they refuse to lift it up and allow Christ to to cure it